Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and what you are listening to now is For Chick, which comes from pianist David Lopato's latest album called Short Stories, along with his group Global Coolant. I'm looking forward to my conversation with David, in which we're going to cover all things about this album, his past and what the future holds. So I hope you're very well and I hope 2024 is treating you well so far. Enjoy listening to my conversation with David Lopato. Welcome to the latest episode of Harmonious World, and I'm joined for this one by David Lopato. Is that the correct pronunciation? Actually, Lopato. Lopato. Okay. Can you start by telling me kind of when you recorded this and where the when the when you did the writing? Well, the the recording was uh, in June of twenty two, and the writing spans like thirty years. <clears throat> I mean, I have a piece that was written uh, right after Nelson Mandela was freed from prison, which I think was 1991. Yeah, I mean, I've composed my whole um, professional life, but I haven't recorded that much, maybe five, six CDs under my own name. So over the course, and that spanned many years. So the compositions are dispersed amongst many recordings. So some, you know, and also I'm, my uh, orientation is eclecticism. I, I mean, I, I when I perform and when I record, I like to be a, a wide range of styles and genres be represented. So some of them are from different periods of when I was writing in one way or another. So. Right. Okay. But they, and they were recorded just over a year ago. So yeah, yeah this was yeah. this record. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your background? Because, because there's that eclecticism, which comes across, I think in the album. So, Talk to me about your your background. You said that you lived in New York City for forty two years, but yeah. Well, I uh, when I was in school, I was studying the European American tradition and tended towards the avant garde side of things, and got only got really exposed to jazz in college. But I also uh, got exposed to world music through. It was a circuitous route. Uh, I. Um, I started uh, I, in my senior year in college. I was going down to New York City from New Haven to play with Steve Reich's ensemble for a while, and I got uh, exposed to minimalism that way. And I, I wrote some minimalist pieces back then. One's recorded, one uh, uh, one isn't. But through him, I got exposed to um, gamelan music. So when I graduated, I went out and spent a year in California in graduate school studying Indonesian gamelan. And then nine years later, I think I had a Fulbright grant to go study in Java. So I lived in Java for a year. And my the, the record before this one, the one that uh, is called Gending for a Spirit Rising in 2017 was released. That is very much about Indonesian gamelan influenced music and other Asian influences on my music. This one is more closer to home. It's more my... It's a, it's a quintet plus percussion. Some of them are traditional jazz. Some of it's still on the the the, the, the uh, avant-garde side of the fence. But yeah, so so the, the, through the course of my career, I've been involved with a lot of world musics, with straight-ahead jazz and avant-garde improvisation. So just a wide range of things. 
yeah, those eclectic uh, influences really come together, don't they, in this album, I think? Yeah, well, um, there's not there's very little Asian influence in this album, a little bit on one of the pieces. But yeah, in terms of the jazz compositions, yeah, there's a there's a pretty wide range there. Yeah, probably free improvisation. Some of them are just more structured tunes with chord progressions that are typical of jazz pieces. Yeah, I was going to ask you about actually about the composition versus improvisation because it's not always clear how much is is improvised and how much is is composed well as it should be uh, i mean yeah. you know ideally there's especially when you're dealing with more free improvisation or, or structured improvisation that's not song form where you, song form is the typical jazz standard where you have a a broadway show tune say and and you repeat the head and then you improvise over that form and then you come back and you play it on the way out um more uh open form composition uh, like there's one piece on this recording that's called through the veil which is um very much uh it's a it's a modern composition that has sections goes one one to the next to the next and then they all have different characteristics and the others are i guess more more traditional but this some of them are song form where you, you play the head and then you play you improvise over the form and you come back to it and, yeah. And some aren't, but either way, I try to make it seamless, you know, from yeah. one to the other. Yeah, and it is interesting, isn't it, that you want the the improvised bits to be linked to the to the composition bits, effectively, because that's what they're that's yeah. the where the inspiration is coming from. So yeah, and if it's a, if it, if the improv if the if the composition is about typical uh, tonal jazz chord changes, then the improvisation is more along those lines. Yeah. If it's something that that's where it's not, it doesn't seem so obviously tonal, then the improvisation would lean that way. Yeah. So that helps make the transitions more, you know, more seamless. Yeah. At this point, I'd like to play a bit from Papagayo. Can you explain to me how that piece was written, how the form of it, you know, evolved? Sure. Um, well, first of all, that was written probably 40 years ago. <laughs> Uh, I spent a few months in the Canary Islands, in the, in the island of Lanzarote. There was a, a, someone I was living with there for, for uh, a, f a few months, and it's a beautiful island, volcanic island, and it had a beautiful beach called Papagayo. And it was really my first experience of incredibly clear water. I mean, that's not lake water, you know, ocean water where you can see straight down. I mean, I grew up in, Long, uh, in Manhattan and we'd go to Long Island to go to the beach and you can't see more than, you know, a couple <laughs> of feet down. So when I swam in that water, it was just this exhilarating feeling. And that was that was the inspiration for this this piece. And so it has, a, you know, a, a, a chord progression in the beginning that goes from one to the next with free open improvisation over that the, the chord changes. And then, then it goes into um, what I would call a, a sort of typical samba kind of groove, a Brazilian uh, groove. And this is the first time I've recorded with multiple percussionists, two extra percussionists who are both fantastic musicians, in addition to trap set. In my last album, I did have a, one percussion in addition to trap set, but this time I had two. So, and I think you really need that if you're going to be playing Brazilian samba, for instance. The, there's so much, so much percussion going on.
for me, it's a uh, an attempt to create a real sunlit, splashy kind of um, vista, music, a musical version of that experience. Yeah, and I always find it fascinating when you listen to a piece of music and then you find out about how it was influenced and you go, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's that's true of, of Papagaya, that there is a, a sense of that, the warmth of the sun on your back kind of feeling. Yeah. I don't know. Well, also I should mention that the percussion solo at the end, when I was like 21, I played in a salsa band for a year and it was a great experience because uh, I hadn't really learned that much, knew much about that music beforehand. So, uh, this is, but I really haven't played in a salsa band since then. Okay. But I've always loved that music. And so samba is very different from salsa, from, from a son of Cuban, uh, you know, uh, influenced music that I'm referring yeah. to salsa. But, uh, but I really, um, I really wanted to have a little section of, of that was, that's more uh, in the Afro-Cuban salsa tradition. And I, uh, one of my colleagues where I, where I teach, uh, Bobby Sonabria, is a, a fantastic percussionist. And so I, I called him up and said to him, could you do a, a section, a solo section at the end on this? And he said, sure. So he, he came into the studio. And at that point, the Brazilian percussion drops out and it, it, it um, segues into um, Latin percussion and then back to the end of the tune in, in, in the with the samba percussion so yeah it, it's a little bit like you know it, it, it's 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 unorthodox normally you wouldn't put those two styles together but i uh i just figured what the hell so I, <laughs> it's your I album really to... yeah you yeah. can do what you like yeah that's true that's really interesting and i think the percussion you know having having all of that percussion going on at different times through the album is really interesting because it gives a very different flavor to the tracks which yeah, is. you can you can really add all sorts of color in addition yeah. to rhythm, uh, and those guys are masters, Rogerio Bacato and Keita Ogawa. They're uh, and they play together themselves as a duo, accompanying other recordings a lot. So they ah okay, so that was yeah. really uh, that was really great to have that uh, their own synchronicity and, and just blended in really nicely. Yeah. But it's a luxury because normally most jazz albums don't have. Uh, extra percussion like that no that's right that's right to, to be able to have that extra bit is really nice and like yeah. you say it's more than just a rhythmic it, it there's a color to it that yeah yeah definitely so you're on piano then you've got trombone and then loads of saxes that lucas pino plays yeah well in this one i guess um he just plays tenor um oh sorry on that track yeah yeah yeah, yeah. in yeah. each track yeah. uh well, it's one track where i guess he sh he switches from sax to clarinet there's a lot of clarinet on this recording yeah i happen to love clarinet which is more generally uh thought of as a more old school dixieland swing kind of instrument but um from for some of my pieces it's clarinet's perfect and he plays bass clarinet on one track actually yeah. on a couple of tracks um that it's it's a beautiful instrument too but you know m most people don't play it so uh, you don't hear you don't hear it that much on recordings yeah funnily enough i was talking to uh i interviewed christian mcbride a couple of weeks ago uh -huh. and he was talking about uh marcus miller and his ability mm -hmm. to play bass clarinet and it it he he does it i mean it's an extraordinary marcus miller plays bass clarinet yeah i didn't yeah. even know that okay wow. yeah there's some 
some of his That's tracks crazy. where he, where he's obviously you know he's, he's got to put some bass on it and then all of a sudden there's a bass clarinet it's like who's that oh it's marcus miller that's uh, that, i didn't know that that's wild yeah that's it's crazy. crazy isn't it yeah yeah but it's a great instrument but it's yeah. not it's not used as much as it should be yeah well uh, again there aren't many clarinets that play bass bass clarinet no. and it's a large instrument and for jazz musicians that are touring around if they're playing if they're having a tenor and a soprano yeah. or something like that to carry a third axe that's larger yes yeah. uh you know it's not it, it's so there's some some of it might be logistical yeah and i think also they're quite because of the size of it and the and the intricacy of the keys and things you know yeah. i it my i used to play bass clarinet a little and oh, you did? It, yeah, yeah and it was great but but it was forever kind of a, a little bit fiddly and a bit sometimes things would 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 shift out and and you know just a bit uh, -huh. uh you know Tricky. Well, I, I had a, I played a gig with Lucas Lucas Pino, uh, the saxophonist on my recording uh, earlier this year, and I asked him if he could bring bass clarinet. And he said it's in the shop. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. it was in the shop for a while, being repaired. So yeah, um, maybe that's a common thing too. I don't know. I, I think it. I think it might be because everybody I know uh -huh. that's you know. And then uh -huh. it, I guess if you're Marcus Miller, you've probably got three. So you know. Sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> One of the questions that I've I've asked people several times, but done it less and less. But there is a feeling that covid is sort of coming back a little bit and you know mm -hmm. so so we're, we're remembering the fact that well in fact i started this podcast during covid during the lockdown uh -huh. so what was your experience of all the lockdowns did it sort of hit you hard straight away or was your teaching able to carry on and that sort of thing well the teaching carried on i i, I teach at a university at, at, at the new school in uh, in manhattan I've been, I've been teaching there for three decades wow so it went remote it went to zoom for two semesters and then it was back in the classroom and but uh i um as i said mentioned before i moved up here at, actually at the very beginning of COVID, and there's not a whole lot of activity up in the woodstock area for, in terms of musical gigging you know, there's some, but not much, nothing compared to, to the city. So, uh, and of course, that all got shut down. There were two clubs in Manhattan I used to play regularly, and they both closed. Uh, one closed because of the pandemic, another um, closed uh, um, a little before that. So, uh, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't really performing much, except with some occasional gigs locally up here, and. And the teaching was remote, so it, it was. Uh, it didn't affect me that much in terms of the professional situation, because it right. probably wouldn't. The, it probably wouldn't have been that different over these over these last three years. Um, yeah. Part of that's a product of moving out of the city, moving up north. Yeah. Um, and part of it is obviously that nobody was playing at all for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, or even you know getting together with other musicians uh, yeah. locally that, that sort of um, yeah that was put on hold also yeah. so it affected me but I think it probably affected others like people who were living in the city gigging and touring a lot which I haven't been touring a lot for for decades right. um, uh, probably I'm sure it affected them more than than it affected me yeah now I notice in your in the behind you you've got obviously you've got a grand piano but you've also got drums and a string bass a double bass yeah. 
Who plays? Yeah, that? I play but... I play string bass also. Wow. Uh, I mean, I don't gig on it, but I no. uh, I love the instrument, and that was built by uh, one of my favorite musicians named Kent McClagan, who lives out in Denver, and he bu- he uh, builds basses. Oh. Um, but he's also a great bassist and composer. Uh, so he, yeah, he, he, he built that for me. Um, wow. and yeah, actually I have, you can't see them, but I also have Indonesian gamelan instruments. They oh. sit on the floor. So they're there. I don't know if you can, yeah, that's sort of yeah. in the back there, but oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, uh, and I mean, I don't play drum set, but, but it's, this is a great old 1960s Rogers set. And so when, when we get together, musicians, yeah. this, this decent set here. And, yeah. um, and I have a, a bunch bunch of percussion also just <laughs> strewn around the place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we all have that, you know, yeah, I've got, yeah. uh, you know. So are you a saxophonist also? Yeah. Yeah. Which horn? Baritone. Ah. Yeah. I love, I love the baritone. Just I don't know if you're familiar with this recording I did with David Mott. No, I'm not, but I'll check it out. Well, it's hard to find now oh. because he's a, but he's a, he's a virtuoso baritonist, baritone oh, okay. saxophonist, and he's been teaching in Toronto for the last forty years, I think. Uh, I met him in college, and where he was in the grad grad school, and then he he um, got a tenured gig up in Toronto. He's at York University, moved up there, but we did a. Uh, a duo album called uh, The Standard Line. I think you can, yeah, I don't know if I've uploaded it onto my, uh, on, on, on my sites, and he produced the recording, but but it's a nice recording. It's uh, it's just piano and baritone. Oh, uh, that's lovely. And he uh, he's done a, some really interesting things, things with uh, circular breathing. Ah. Oh. Where he has these pieces where he fully utilizes it with overtones and repetitive motifs, and uh, he's wow. yeah, he's he's an interesting composer. Oh, I'll definitely uh, check him out. Thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so what's next? So this album's out. What's what what's next on your horizon? Uh, part two of this short stories. Yes, uh, I originally wanted to do a double CD, and I, uh, I that didn't seem to be in the cards. So, um, so I'm going to do I'm going to go back into the studio again, uh, probably in the spring, and 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 I'm, I still have some tracks from the last session, and I'm going to probably add five, four or five more from uh, from the next one, and in a similar vein, uh, some of them are old pieces that. Um, that we were never recorded before. And so I sort of want to document what I've done and uh, a couple of new pieces. And there's even a funk tune in there where I play electric piano and guitar on it. And um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's like this one, pretty wide variety of uh, styles. Yeah. So that sounds interesting. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, Thank you for joining me once more for Harmonious World. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with David Lepato. 
the start of this, you were listening to For Chick. And what you're listening to now is Clarity. This is all taken from his album, Short Stories. So thank you for joining me once more for Harmonious World. And I hope you have a very, very happy week. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week and please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World.